Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 227 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Victor Rodriguez. And, uh, you know, we're just going to trudge forward like we always do. Victor, how the hell are you? I'm well, I suppose, um, keeping myself, you know, just use, doing the usual uh, dad routine and uh, catching up on a bunch of stuff that I'd missed from the past, like uh, the uh, latest Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie. I don't know why. I just I find even when it's not the funniest, it's still some of the most engaging, bafflingly, some of the most engaging TV for some reason. I, I don't I can't quite explain it. It's super, super weird. But um, uh, yeah, man, I, I've just been doing a whole lot with the day job and um, putting in just way too much work. But other than that, uh, things are decent. Uh, we have a proper fight card this weekend. Uh, I, I you know, we, we've been we've been having a. I guess like we started off kind of okay, then things got hot for a couple of weeks, and then the bricks just got slammed on us in terms of quality, uh, high level MMA programming. But this week we got some pretty good stuff. We got KSW, we got Bellator Ireland, we got uh, a pretty decent, I guess, well for the greater part, uh, UFC Fight Night event, and then we've got a couple of pretty strong events following in the weeks to come. So I guess I'm okay. I'm I'm not necessarily the happiest. But I'm okay. Um. All right. Well, we hope that uh, all these great fights will change your happiness status for the better. Um, <clears throat> I'm doing okay. And uh, we have a, sort of a, a dry news cycle this week. I, there are some topics out there for us. But I'm going to switch things up. Victor always tells me, don't tell me what your topics are. Surprise me. So I'm going to switch things around and I'm going to surprise Victor live here, <laughs> at least live for our recording. And I'm going to let him start first. So that's okay. the big switch. Okay. Well, see, here's, here's what my calculation was, right? Generally as Steffi, uh, you're usually the person that goes first. I would expect that you would start with the more, uh, maybe the, the, the stories that would have a bit more urgency, but also have a bit more weight, right? A bit more seriousness and gravity to them. And so I kind of figured, you know, maybe I should start things off with something that's not quite as serious, not quite as dire. I guess you know where this is going to have to go, and that is the one and the only Dustin Poirier who managed to spend Mardi Gras in his home state of Louisiana, partaking in the festivities as he should, because of course, not only is he a native who loves being in his region, but he loves having fun, and he deserves fun because he's a good guy. You may have seen this by now, and if you haven't, well, you'll have to settle for my uh, mediocre description of it. Uh, he was up there on a Jeep as part of the celebration parade, and some guy decided to, as of course we all see uh, instances of this every day, this guy decided he was going to fish for some internet clout. 
He used the wrong rod, my friend. This is not the correct bait. He brought out a little sign that said, hey, Dustin, your wife's in my DMs, you know, hearkening back to McGregor's taunts after uh, <laughs> just like, I mean, listen, you look at the guy, number one, I mean, okay, he doesn't look like he can't take a punch, but he's not the spry young chicken that could probably take on a professional fighter in the, at this point of his life. And even if he could, he's not a guy who could take on Dustin Poirier. And on top of that, he's still not a young dude. He's old enough to know better. And I understand, like, the whole, you know, hey, you need to act your age. Look, man, you got to let people act the way they want to act when they're being harmless. You know, when Yoko Ono wants to paint and, uh, you know, say goofy things on Twitter and take photographs naked or whatever, like, that's her right. She ain't hurting nobody. She's minding her business. And she's just expressing herself in weird but okay ways that are not really interfering with anyone's way of life, nor is offensive to anyone else. Not this guy. No, 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 no. He decided he was going to go with something personal. Again, no reason. I don't think this dude knows Poirier. Poirier didn't seem to know this guy either. And yes, I'm saying that in the past tense because Poirier saw the sign, leaned forward, called the guy over, and basically just swatted at his face, slapping him allegedly. I mean, it didn't look like it connected. Uh, even if it would have, it seemed fairly faint. It didn't seem like he was going to really hit him. I mean, if this guy really had any intent to injure, he would have jumped down from that Jeep and beat his ass right there in front of God and country. And you know what? I would have been fine for that. Instead of arresting him, I would have supported the police going over, hoisting him on their shoulders and carrying him for the rest of the parade mm -hmm. because that was motherfucking heroic. Dude, why would you do this? Why? And I don't know if this dude is a Conor mega fan. I mean, it's likely, right? Because you're using, you're you're adopting a um a, a, a Conor McGregor taunt and this thing, and all for what? What would you do that for? To impress your buddies down at the bowling alley? To get a little bit of, just to get a couple of likes on Twitter? Now, what happened instead is you look like an asshole in front of the entire universe, and on top of that, you got humiliated by a guy hitting you at maybe I don't know one nineteenth of speed. <laughs> buddy what the hell is wrong with you and i'm not gonna ask look i don't know the dude's name i don't know where he lives i don't know anything about it. i don't know what his employment is i don't know what kind of food he likes i don't know if he enjoys holding hands and long walks on the beach i don't give a shit about this dude i'm glad that he will be forgotten hopefully no one reaches out to talk to him because there's nothing compelling or interesting that this motherfucker's got to say to anyone but i do have this question because i think it really leads to something far more interesting which has to do with the nature of parasocial relationships, especially as they relate to the combat sports world. Because, again, something about fandom in this sport in particular leads people to do goofy things. And I don't think that it's fair to compare it to things like we've seen stabbings outside of baseball games. We've seen brawls at football games. MMA is not – MMA doesn't have a monopoly on bad behavior from fans and people doing goofy shit like this at all. But what does it say about someone that they do something like this? And does this speak in any form to the state of MMA fandom more broadly when it comes to people doing goofy things like this and really trying to get a rise out of fighters, knowing that they could perhaps have that possibility of getting their ass beat in 3D? I got to agree with you. I think that that was just a monumentally idiotic thing to do. What a moron. Why would you do that? I don't understand. That that was was he thinking that Dustin was going to find that funny when his wife was right there. Exactly. His daughter was right there. 
this whole current internet culture seems to have changed in the space of the time that, I mean, I, I hate to point this out, but it really has changed quite dramatically in about the last, oh, seven years. And it seems also that people are much more bold and daring to and willing to do things that just 10 years ago, everybody would have been like, what the hell is going on? What are you doing? I You see people hurling racial slurs in public to people's faces, thinking that they won't get smacked down over it. I just, yeah, I don't yeah. get it. I don't understand where all this boldness comes from. But uh, every once in a while, when, when I see someone do something about it, I have to ask myself, what would I do in that position? And I can't say that I would have acted differently than Dustin there, even though I know that it's probably wrong to do it. It's not as black and white as... as Everybody would like to paint the picture and including myself. Sometimes I, I paint the picture really black and white when it's not necessarily that way. And I think this is one of those instances. Would you agree? Well, you know, I, I, I agree with you there. And I think it's I mean, this isn't quite as brazen as like the dojo challenge. You know, when Josh Neer oh, yeah. beat up that guy and right. everyone was like, Josh Neer is such a bully for beating that guy up. Okay, that guy was not only threatening Neer, that guy right. was threatening people that were going to that school. That's that right. guy was not only fucking with his business and his livelihood, he was fucking with the safety mm-hmm. of other people. And that is a different thing. When when that dude was taunting Deontay yes. Wilder and he went down to the gym and he got styled on, you know, it's it, what are you going to do? The man agreed mm-hmm. to it. That's he right. signed a waiver. You went down. Oh, you think you can fuck me up? Me, Deontay Wilder, didn't do so well in football, but the man is doing shit in boxing. Whether or not you respect his style or whether or not you think he is an all-time great is irrelevant. That man is still big and ready to beat your ass. And, and, and a similar dynamic happened here. If anything, this dude is incredibly lucky. Number one, that Dustin went easy on him. Number two, that nobody in the crowd you know, saw or recognized what was going on to the degree that they were going into like, hey, you stop fucking doing that. You know, we didn't see anything like that because that is something that sometimes, you know, you have more rabid fans doing it. And maybe I don't think MMA fighters are really on that level of recognition or, or anything like that to have that precisely be the outcome of something like this. But like I said, his wife was there. His daughter was there. I mean, this dude got to explain to his kid, yeah, hey, hey, dad, why, why, why'd you have to, why'd you have to talk to that guy? What was going on with his sign? Think about that shit for a minute, man. You gotta explain that shit to a child, like, bro, you didn't have to. Number one, the shit wasn't, it wasn't even funny. It wasn't even clever. It wasn't even one of those things where, like, okay, you know what, that was offensive, but I can kind of see where it was a little giggly. Nah, it wasn't anything like that. And again, it's like this is where that that bottom of the barrel sort of humor. That you see that what I refer to more as like the barstool mindset, you know, this is this is the kind of thing that you just I don't understand why you think that this is going to be okay and that people are going to find it fun. And then in the end, no one likes it. (laughs) It's like the 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 status from uh, Fallout 4, right? Everyone disliked that. Now, now, now you got nothing, right? You you're burnt and you're bust. And I don't really. I, again, I, I'm just I'm glad that this is over and done and quick and that he didn't uh, nobody got hurt in any serious way. At least I hope not. 
But man, uh, that's yeah, that that is that is something that I hope no one tries again. The only thing that I, I would have thought was would be kind of funny if somebody added the sound effect of how can he slap? <laughs> that's the only way that could have been like improved and funny. And it wouldn't even have been because of the guy with the sign. It would have been somebody else being funny because obviously that dude ain't got shit in his back pocket. That's true. I just wonder how long it will be until Dana White is trying to offer D- Dustin Poirier a contract for Power Slap. Yeah, well, Power Slap can't afford that. You know that. Come on now. You know they're paying these people with, like boxes of sardines and shit. They ain't paying no fucking money. We come on now. That, that's why they're not drug tested. Well, I mean they are. They are the the committee or rather the commission, commission is, is doing is, yeah. so. Yeah, but they're not. I I like. This, I like the comment that was made about that. Dana White actually said, you saw it as expensive. That's, exactly. That's exactly. what he said. He and jumped I'm, back like Chris Rock. Good Lord, that's a lot of money. <laughs> you, you, you're talking about safety for fighters. Come on now. <laughs> oh, God. So I, you were right. I do have something pretty heavy for uh, discussion here, and that is that the – person that had accused conor mcgregor of attacking her at his ibiza birthday party last year on the yacht um she has dropped her lawsuit against conor mcgregor yeah i i saw that and i thought to myself wow that on the heels of uh a brick being thrown through her front window at her home and her you know just a few weeks before that her car being burned to the ground. Now I made a post when I saw that this had happened, that she had dropped the charges. I made a post and I basically said that um, she was likely terrified of what might be next. If in the space of weeks, your, your home has been targeted and, and your car has been targeted. I mean, it's got to be terrifying to know that they know where I live or they know where I'm parking. That's insane. And it doesn't matter if it was Connor or some, someone that he doesn't know that was doing it, you know, to, to his honor in his name, defending what they feel is his honor or the value of his name. It doesn't matter. The point is she was the accuser of Connor McGregor assaulting her. And these things allegedly happened to her enough to where that there she was able to go to their police force, the guardie, and they they opened cases on it. There are re- official reports of her car being burned down and a brick being thrown through her window. So I have to assume that these things happened the same way that most people out there are assuming under the assumption that Connor is innocent until proven guilty i'm fine with that i am with this i I, in this instance i am with you 100 on that but we also have to assume that what she is saying is also true that somehow some way a brick ended up in her front room and her car ended up burned to the ground no one is saying that connor did this no one is saying that connor had someone do this we are only saying that these things happened and it was probably terrifying. And now she's dropped her case. Victor, how do you look at this? We said it last week. We said it the week before. This is the kind of thing that is clearly motivated with one 
expressly one aim and one objective only. That is to get this person to shut the fuck up. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened here. And now mission accomplished. Now she managed to back away. And this is the thing, right? Because with the whole thing with the car, okay, this is where you realize this, the message is being sent is you can be touched. We know who you are. You know what we can do. Burning down a car, you can replace a car. Insurance can replace it. Things happen. Fine. When it comes to the safety of your home, you're sending a much more dire message. You're sending a much more direct threat. I asked the same question last week. What would have happened if someone were standing where that brick came through? Maybe the house was unoccupied. I don't know. I don't I didn't I didn't quite remember that detail as to whether that but that point is still not relevant because the main question, the main concern is what was the next move going to be? And that question is very deliberately what the people who did this want the person, the victim, to ask themselves. And this is where we end up. We end up in a situation where whoever did this, right? And I'm glad you you pointed that out yet again. It bears repeating. This is not someone we don't know who did this, right? But that adds to the fuel, it adds to the fear. We don't know if this is someone affiliated with Connor or not. Doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be someone he might not even know that this is being done in his name or you know whatever it is. The fact that he might probably be upset, like yo, this might be messing up my case. But turns out, no. Turns out, in fact, it uh, ends up helping him because now, now it's gone away, and he gets what he wants. The people who did this got what they want, and I'm so sick. And I'm so fucking tired of the most evil people in the world continuing to win because this is what it is. You know, I don't whether or not you think if you think that as as some people want to do and I haven't seen too much chatter on this here. But if you think that the victim was maybe faking these things happening, then you got to explain, number one, the police reports and number two, why she backed down from continuing the prosecution of this case, because that seems like a whole lot of effort just to back out and say, nope, at the end of the day. And uh, that that just, you know, it, it's it's such a frustrating thing to see. But also, you got to remember, man, you you in life, we do things not for ourselves, but for the safety of those around us. Yeah. If they can find out where she lives, they can find out where her family lives. They could probably find out where she, she might not have anywhere to go. But if she did, they might find out where she ends up and she might, uh, it might have to move someplace that is less uh, likely to have a support structure. For her to protect herself, then what? You're still vulnerable. You're still out there in the open, and that that myriad uh, level of questions that that's where the whole thing lies. That's where everything resides here. When when it comes to like like I said the first time when the whole car thing burned down, right? Is we don't know who did this. We don't know precisely why. We have an idea. I mean, you can infer clearly as we've seen happen the things like this happen in the past, not just in sports, but just in general. When you see something like this happen and you don't know where it's coming from, that's where it's much more frightening because it could happen from any angle at any time. She could be walking down the streets of Dublin, of Berlin, of St. Paul, Minnesota, looking around, wondering when is the next threat coming for me? Because it's coming. You just don't know when. Do you want to live like that for the rest of your fucking life? No, nobody does. And you know, that's 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 what makes me sad here. So now you suffer the indignity of having all this shit happen. And listen, none of this means that further things won't happen either. None of this is a guarantee. So she's still going to have to live with that. You're going to live with the trauma of what happened. If, of course, you know, again, we got to use the term allegedly, but come on, we all know what the fuck it is, right? She so got to live with the trauma of what happened. 
And then on top of that, have to look over her shoulder regardless. It's just, you know, man, I, I just hate all of this so much. But that's that's the world we live in. And all we can do is try to learn from it. You know, what's interesting to me is somebody in in the thread where I made that post, it's it's gone pretty viral. Somebody dropped an article in there. And it is that Conor McGregor's sister has gone public with her relationship with a Daniel Kinahan uh, gangster named Graham the Wig, the Wig Whalen. Um, She had shared images of them together at Connor's Black Forge Inn. There's a lot of pictures here and pictures of Connor with her at this at one of the events that he appeared at. There are tons of pictures here. I'm looking through them. Um, wow. Yeah, so <clears throat> I'm looking at that and I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's kind of hard not to connect dots. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, look, can no one can blame you for seeing this, hearing this, and immediately drawing conclusions or assuming certain things. Yeah. It's just too close for you not to. It it would be it would be irresponsible, not to mention idiotic, to not assume that there's some foul shit going on here. All right. So, you know, is he mobbed up? Well, maybe not necessarily, but his sisters are hanging out with somebody who might be. Well, it's not that she's just hanging out. She has made this photo of the two of them together as Mm. her profile photo. And the photo of them is her sitting right next to him. He's got they're They're loved up and she's got her hand wrapped around his crotch. Oh my god! I love how you say "loved up." I think there's something adorable about that. Uh, <laughs> in this bleak and horrible fucking story, we still manage to find something. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, who says love is dead? Wow, beautiful. I'm an old lady. Yeah, well, there's yeah in the month of romance, no less. You see how this happens? Amazing. All right. So, what you got for me? Well, what I got is, uh, hmm, I, I, how do I describe this exactly? Um, look, every once in a while, right, we get a, one of these weird stories where, hey, look, you know I live in the weird. I love the weird shit, okay? But every once in a while, we get one of these stories that has to do with drug testing and um, results that end up being disputed or contested, uh, a bit of a hullabaloo that ends up uh, forming around whether or not someone took something. And then, of course, the explanation that comes from whoever it is that is uh, accused of failing a drug test. Here's the thing. Now, we're going to sort of wade into some waters that I don't really necessarily swim in very often. As Jadakiss said when he was asked his opinions on anal sex, I don't pump on that block, which is the funniest thing you could answer in that situation. Uh, we're going to talk about the collapse, as it was described earlier by uh, Tim Bissell, the collapse of Chris Eubank against Connor Ben. Now, if you're part of the MMA circles that do not follow boxing, welcome home. I'm here. Uh, this is this was supposed to be a pretty big match between two um, British, uh, popular British boxing figures. The fight was supposed to take place back in October. It unfortunately did not happen because, turns out, Ben uh, ended up testing positive for clomiphene. From what I remember, clomiphene is actually one of the stupidest things that you could test positive for. I do believe it has to do with the fact of, uh, you know, it's staying in your system for a certain amount of time and the benefits that it nets you not being so, um, 
maybe not as uh, advantageous as other substances that you perhaps could take if you're looking for some kind of advantage. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. It turns out that he is now <laughs> oh God, this is this is beautiful, right? WBC announced that there was, quote, a highly elevated consumption of eggs, which was viewed as a reasonable explanation for the test failure. Quote, the WEBC found that, one, there was no conclusive evidence that Mr. Ben engaged in potential or knowing ingestion of clomiphene. Two, there were no failures in the procedures related to sample collection, sample analysis, or violations of Mr. Ben's B sample, writes, that would justify questioning or invalidating the adverse finding. And three, Mr. Ben's documented and highly elevated consumption of eggs during the times relevant to the sample collection raised a reasonable explanation for the adverse finding. End quote. How many fucking eggs is this guy eating? Yeah. <laughs> Are you serious? I mean, can you imagine what the 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 buildup of the sulfurous smell is in that house? My God. Okay, okay, eggs, hold on. Eggs are just notorious fart inducers. Okay, hold on. Let me explain something, all right? Years ago, about a decade ago, right, when I really started taking things seriously in terms of going to the gym twice a day and everything like that, I would make massive post-workout scrambles, okay? I'm talking about anywhere between four to six eggs, all right, in a big scramble with like – have, and I should I should actually start posting those my, as throwbacks. My, uh, I had a little thing with my brother-in-law called my breakfast is better than yours. I'd go. I'd work the fuck out and then I'd have a massive deal. I'd have fry a banana and coconut oil. I'd have some kale. I'd have some kind of meat, whether bacon or sausage. Sometimes both if I was feeling really, really sexy. And then I'd have the big, big egg scramble with like sometimes a bit of cheese, a little pico de gallo on the side. I mean it was it was great. I mean I was living big, man. I was doing great. But that was doing – I mean I could do that you know, maybe once, twice a day. But this man this, – this part really tickled me right here, right? This is the part that I found hilarious. Highly elevated, documented. Mr. Ben's documented and highly elevated consumption of eggs. I'm sorry. Was this guy posting this shit on Instagram? Was he eating a carton of 18 in a day? What is highly – What? how did this happen? Who is measuring this? What eggs has this ever been seen before? I don't believe so. This it is has, the first though. time. No, it has. That I've gotta seen go it. back. Got it. You have seen this. Even you have seen this, Victor. You just forgot. You got to go back to some of those video packages from when they had Brock Lesnar first come to the UFC. Way back when with the Frank Mir fight. Okay, the first one. Listen, they had a video package and it literally showed him having a dozen eggs for breakfast. Okay, and I've then seen when that. He had the, when he had all of the diverticulitis and, you know, a foot of his intestines removed and blah, blah, blah. Everybody pointed back to all of his huge egg breakfasts. Oh, gee, I can't imagine why he would have so many issues. And... As you were sitting there going through your, your spiel just now, all I could see in my brain was Brock Lesnar and his dozen egg breakfast. And I'm wondering if this is the same thing here. Well, I mean, I've seen that, certainly. I mean, I can I can understand the gargantuan consumption and all that. I get that. What I don't understand, what I've never seen before is someone testing positive for clomiphene as a result of that. That's the part that gets me. And I, you know, if you go on further, there is um there is a bit here about how WADA had conducted a study on this whole deal and um yeah, whether or not clomiphene could uh, pop up as a result and 
I guess it is possible uh, if a chicken is dosed with clomiphene, if they have, you know, if they have it in their system, they can produce a trace amount of the substance. Uh, and it can be detected in the urine of people that have eaten those eggs. Is that something that happens in the UK? Are they giving them clomiphene? Um, I mean, I know they don't wash their eggs. I mean, I know that. And that's apparently why American eggs have to be refrigerated. I know that in other places that that's not something that people do habitually. Uh, but wow, what a weird <laughs> – I remember the Jimmy Rivera beef thing. That made some sense until, of course, it was discovered that he had forged the uh, – the, was it Jimmy Rivera? Wait, now I'm trying to remember. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, it might have been. It might have been him. I, I'll have to get back to you. But there was a fighter that had uh, tested positive for some uh, some substance, and they were like, "No, no, no! I was in Mexico. I was eating some barbecue. Look, I got the receipts right here from all the meat, and it was a forged receipt." <laughs> Unfortunately, I remember that. I just don't yeah. remember exactly who it was, but I do remember the instance you're talking about for sure. Um, yeah. Another famous incident where that. Um, it was something due to tainted uh, a tainted meat was when Canelo had the issue and yeah you know he's but that that was actually a factual thing you know yeah. mexico's yeah. known for it so um i think that's a pretty pretty funny topic there i'm going to i'm going to give you some some joyous topics myself here and that is fight announcements Ooh. now i am just going to buzz all through these and you get to tell me which of these is your favorite fight and we'll discuss that okay all right sure all right first and foremost i love this mackenzie dern angela hill will mm. happen at a May UFC event, May 13th. It's a fight night event. So we have number seven ranked strawweight Mackenzie Dern taking on number 12 ranked Angela Hill. I like this. This is a good, solid fight. I, I can't help but like this. But anyways, let's move forward. UFC 288 is getting... Charles Oliveira versus Benil Dariush. Mm. Oh my goodness. Hot fire. Chef's kiss on that one. And then we also get on that same card, UFC 288, Marina Rodriguez versus Virna Jandiroba. Oh mm. my God. So, what do you think of those? All right, I'm going to start with the last one Marina versus Verna. I like it, but I don't love it. Right. And it's because of the fact that I don't like seeing either one of them lose. Yes. And that's I've a been super a fan tough of, fight, yeah. too. I've been a fan of Verna's since she first showed up in Invicta. I don't know. She just like immediately just, you know, just captivated with her with her her style, her pace and her personality. And it's like, you know, man, I, I want to see her do well. But then Marina, you know, I wasn't too impressed at first, but I'm like, damn, she fights smart, though. And she's impressive. Like She's grown. She's developed really well. And she's, you know, got a nice little um, got a nice little run in her right now. And, and you know, yeah, she's had some setbacks. Of course, these things are going to happen. But I just, you know, I, I, that's that's really where I'm at. Sentimentally, I'm not too happy about it because I don't want to see either one of them fail. But, you know, that's the nature of the game. And it, it's what we tune in for. Right. Somebody got to win. Though Angela Hill versus Mackenzie Dern, I mean, Wait, it's a similar I, thing. Can I can I tell you one one extra oh, yeah. thing? Sure. Oh my gosh, I forgot. I left out the most vital part of information here, especially mm. with the Rodriguez Jandiroba fight. Mm. And that is that UFC 288, I didn't even tell you who's leading the card. Okay. 
Oh my God. Well, it's not that they're leading the card. It's that this is featured on the card. It's one of the six fights that is confirmed. Are you ready? All it right. is Aljamain Sterling versus Henry Cejudo. So that was also officially announced. So that's our fourth fight here. So I just feel like I need to put that in there so that you can properly choose your favorite. So go forward, sir. Okay. Even with the late edition, I like the late edition. I mm -hmm. think that's a very smart, very tactical fight. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not as thrilled about it as I am about Benil Dariush oh. versus Charles Oliveira. Mm -hmm. I just think that there is a different level. There's so many different questions on a different scale, given the fact that these are two strikers. And and you can you can look at Oliveira as a jujitsu guy, but I mean his striking game is still very very vicious, very poisonous. Uh, Dariush having a resurgence, you know, uh, so he he stumbled quite a bit. Now he's where he is now, uh, fighting a former champion and and very very close within reach of a title shot. I love that for him. I love the implications. I love the potential consequences, the branching pathways. I think that's stellar. Now. When it comes to Angela Hill and Mackenzie Dern, I love that fight too, but I just, you know, it just makes me sad when Angela Hill goes out there, gives it her all, and then the judges don't give her the nod. Because she's had a few fights that she's deserved the win, but the judges won't give it to her. And I kind of feel like stylistically, this is going to be one of those fights that might end up going to a decision. And that bums me out. Because it's like, I, I just, you know, I don't know. I feel like that's going to cheat us out of, like, a proper result. And, you know, I, I'm still excited for it. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm happy to see it. I'm, I think this is good. I think this is great. And if anything, being paired up against Mackenzie Dern shows that Angela Hill is not that far from contention herself. You know, she hasn't been bumped down that that far in the uh, on the on the sort of ladder, the standings, if you will. So I'm I'm good with that. I think that's a cool fight. But it's, again... Not my favorite in this whole batch, but that's by virtue of the fact that, come on, man. Come on. Chucky Allos versus versus uh, Grizzly Benny. Are we serious right now? Come on, man. That's absolute. All these fights are absolute fire, but that's what I got my eye on. Yeah, me too. I like that one the best. I view it differently than you. I You say two strikers that are also great at jiu-jitsu. I look at them as two phenomenal grapplers. That's their bread and butter first, but who have recently, and it, and it has been recently for both, uh, added a real striking game to their repertoire, especially Benil Dariush. Um, we've, we've seen bits and pieces of it, flashes of it over the course of his fights, but he's finding a home for, for that monstrous punch of his. And it's been more frequently as he's gotten older. And, you know, you look at him and you think to yourself, God, this guy looks like he's 45, but he's, he's only 31. <laughs> and that also really freaks me out. But I, it stands to reason that he is sitting down on his punches more, that he has gotten all this experience under his belt. He, I mean, he's a guy that's grappler first. And same with, with Charles. I know he's 
he started out very flashy when he got to the UFC, but again, his jujitsu was already there. That base was already there. Yeah. He strikes me as a guy that fell in love with his hands a little bit too soon. Oh, and then he course corrected. And we saw that incredibly long 12, 13 fight streak. I can't remember if it's 12 or 13 fights, but he, that's when we saw him course correct. And then he, he developed his own massive striking game. And that's when we started seeing the knockouts. So I feel like Charles especially was a guy that fell in love with his hands too soon and then fixed it. And now he has every right, every reason to fall in love with those hands because he sets them up beautifully with that incredibly, uh, that incredible grappling game. I, I just love what's come from Charles. And I mean, Outside Islam Makachev, I don't think anybody beats him. Even Benil, as great as Benil is, I do think there's a hierarchy. And I, I, at this current moment, I think that Charles is sitting a little bit above Benil, and I would choose him to win. Now, if the, if uh, this fight happens and it, it it shakes out differently, it shakes out that Benil won, I would not be surprised look at how tight the 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 race is there at the top so i like this very very much it is my favorite of the whole group so i'm with you, you know, I, I just i got a little bit of thing with somebody mid-conversation busts out fancy french words like repertoire and shit like <laughs> like you better like you better than me and shit it's funny because it's true you really are so yeah no i i, I could dig that look i i see them as i i refer to them as strikers in this case because while their jujitsu is yes it is their foundation and their base it's just that you know that's really where they've shown so much more progress to the point where like you don't even see them as purely or, or primarily as grapplers at this point and I mean, that's that's kind of a good problem to have because that's what made them even bigger threats. You know, that's what's led them to be trickier and keeping opponents guessing. And so yeah, that's that's uh, again, this now we're just proving the point that I had made earlier. This is just so many questions, so many directions this can go in. And it's just rife for speculation. I love it. I love when fights like this happen. Yeah. All right. So it is time to get into our picks for the week. Now, last week we made just two picks. Victor, you and I, we went we went for bust. We went 0 and 2, but Mookie did pick correctly on one of his picks. So, our standings for last week, Mookie went 1 and 1. I went 0 and 2, as did you. If you guys want to know who we picked, obviously, we did we all picked Jim Miller. But Victor and I picked Jessica Andrade and Mookie picked Aaron Blanchfield. We have already discussed um, to death on Care Don't Care how amazing Aaron Blanchfield is. But right now, I got to get your take on her because, wow, I was bowled away by a couple of things. One, she's got some pretty powerful striking of her own because she steered Jessica Andrade all over that cage like it was nothing. Like she wasn't a young 24-year-old that hasn't been in this game very long. Uh, two, that, that grappling game is just, it's goddamn phenomenal. She has star power written all over her because of that violent game she uprooted 
Andraj as the violence queen. I mean, she is just amazing. I cannot wait to see what she looks like one year from now. And if they decide to give her the winner of Valentina and Alexa Grasso, I will not have a problem with that that kind of movement. I will not think that it's too fast or too soon because Erin Blanchfield is special. Victor, your take. She is absolutely ready for prime time. I'm glad you mentioned that because I really do agree that, yeah, she's young and yeah, she's relatively inexperienced. But come on, man, you got to strike while the iron's hot. She's already proven herself to be more than a prospect. Is she ready? Yes, there's only one way to find out. Clearly, she was ready enough to take on a challenge such as Jessica. I didn't think that she'd be able to deal with the pressure and the physicality and, you know, the kind of the levels, the the layers of the striking that um, Jessica usually presents. And it turns out she ends up out striking her. There is another whole conversation about Jessica's claim that uh, she had one of her breasts popping out of the thing. Uh, (laughs) I did see her adjust her top a couple of times. I did. Um, but I did not see the instance that she referred to, but I did see her adjusting her top a lot. It did seem like she was a little bit preoccupied with it. Yeah. And that always bothers me, man. It's like, it's, I've had this problem for the longest. I always think that like women in the UFC as, as a piece of advice, because they're not going to, you know, the UFC itself isn't going to institute any sort of blanket policy on this, but I think they should all just wear rash guards like Mm -hmm. Michelle, uh, Watterson. Yeah. Because that's the only way you're going to, how many times are we going to see this happen? How many times are you going to see women having problems adjusting the top because of the, 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 the shoddy design? Because that's what this is. I mean, this has been dogging us since the Reebok days, and we're still. This shit doesn't happen in LFA. This shit doesn't happen in Bellator. This is only happening, and we're mostly happening in the UFC. And it's because they're using such shit materials. I just, I don't get that. And this isn't. It happened before. I mean, I remember there was a fight. Ronda Rousey had that problem before the Reebok deal was implemented. Uh, but it, it's again, it's just so much more f- common, I guess, and it be, it happens at the worst moments with this. So you know, I, I guess yeah, that that's the end of my rant on that. And uh, it is it is unfortunate, but even without the adjustment, even without that problem, Jessica did look like she was having some trouble right, yeah. finding her footing. Yeah, yeah. So I I just look at Blanchfield and I think that she's special. And moving her in in the direction of Valentina Shevchenko is not too soon. There are levels. You know, Victor says that all the time. There's levels, and this is an example of that. She is special and a level above the rest of the pack. So I like like the the way that uh, her trajectory appears to be moving. And shout out to Trent Reinsmith, by the way, stating, yeah, you know what? Valentina's got reason to be worried because if Jennifer Maya cracked the door open on what could be possible with grappling against Valentina and then Tyler Santos came in and capitalized way further, Mm -hmm. you get somebody like Blanchfield with those grappling chops and then on top of that, her striking and then on top of that, her trajectory, as you mentioned, right, her development – yeah, man, you, you got some pretty interesting possibilities here. I like that. And the other thing, too, is she's super strong and she's very durable because, you know what? Jessica was landing on her, too. Big ones. And she was walking her down. Mm-hmm. So I look at that and I think, to my, you know, Valentina is not known for being a knockout artist. Her her sole knockout in her champion run came against Jessica I. Yeah. So I I look at that and remember that knockout came as a result of a head kick. So I'm thinking of that. 
and I'm I'm looking at how hard Erin Blanchfield hits and how how well she was walking down Jessica Andrade eating everything Andrade was was throwing punches and remember Andrade laced some elbows in there too and she walked those down as well so I I want to see it I can't help myself I don't care if anybody out there thinks it's too soon I don't all right. Uh, the other one that we all got wrong was Jim Miller, but that was still a pretty damn good fight. Yeah. But it's clear that right now, even though he was on a three fight win streak leading into this fight, there comes a time and these are the fights that these are the only fights you can give Jim Miller right now to finish out his contract. I, I don't think I would like to see um Jim Miller get the Andre Arlovsky treatment because it's kind of sad to watch the Andre Arlovsky of today, knowing what you and I got to watch way back in like 2005 from Andre Arlovsky. Yeah. So yeah, and, I don't yeah, want to you know, see someone that I truly enjoy watching and that I've also maintained a pretty cool relationship uh, I will call him a friendly acquaintance because I never really feel like I'm quote friends with fighters anymore i i made that mistake a long time ago i always assumed because i'd interviewed someone oh we're pals we're friends that's my boy as i've gotten older i understand that is not the case and a lot of the younger upper up and coming generation of media that's something that they're gonna have to learn as they go as well because i see them making that same mistake of referring to fighters as their friends their boys blah 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 those fighters don't think of you after you leave the room if they're not texting you like they like your friends text you or inviting you to do things like your friends would there's a good chance you're not actually a friend but Jim Miller, I have maintained a friendly relationship over the years, over the 13, 14 plus years that I've been interviewing him. And I like him. So it was kind of sad to see him not win because I'm always sad to not see Jim Miller excel at everything that he does. So I feel like these are the only fights that you could give him to finish out the contract. And I would like to see him ride out into the sunset, hopefully on a win over one of these guys trying to get into the inner sanctum. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Congratulations to Alexander Hernandez, not yes. just on the win, not just on the win, but having a, a spirited performance. And that also he doesn't have to cut weight anymore. He's done with the fight camp. So that's right, baby. You know what time it is. Coitus. <laughs> yes, because remember, Alex Hernandez is the guy that came out and said that weight cutting In addition to the myriad other problems that it presents, he said, and I quote, my dick don't work in the morning when I'm cutting weight. So now we can add erectile dysfunction to the long list of problems associated with weight cutting and Man, I I almost, if it wasn't Jim Miller that he was fighting, I would have outright rooted for him. <laughs> you know, I, I, this is this is one of those things where, like, I feel like there's a missed opportunity for some sort of uh, uh, licensing or sponsorship partnership going on. You know, like, by God, King, that's Bob from Enzyme Commercials Music. Do, 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 do. You know, I mean, we're old. We get that. If you know, you know. <laughs> so... We are going to wrap up the show with our picks. Now, last week, 
oh my God, we got so excited and wrapped up in all of our salacious headlines because we did have the erectile dysfunction headline and the slap fighter that got busted for cocaine. And then we had the whole illegal IV conversation. So when we had all those salacious headlines, we forgot to actually make our picks last week. Now we did make them behind the scenes, which is what you guys just got to hear. So that if you're thinking to yourself, wow, I ne- I don't even remember who you guys picked. It's because you never got to hear it. And we're so sorry for that. So this week we are picking. Now this fight card, it seems very modest on paper, but there are four gems on this card. Uh, there's there's a fifth one, but I chose not to pick it because Jasmine Jasudavicius uh, is coming off a loss, and um, her opponent is a somewhat of a question mark, especially for the casuals out there. But um, I, I'm leaving that off because I want to focus more on the four that I did select because they're four fucking bangers. So. Here are the the choices that we are making. And we're going to start with uh, where O'Day Osborne versus Charles Johnson at flyweight. I love this fight so much. I'm going to start with you, Victor. Go ahead. I, you know, just this isn't so much like I guess you could consider it a loyalty pick sort of thing. I can't pick against Oday Osborne, man. Right. I, Charles Johnson is a talented dude. Don't get me wrong. I think he's he's uh, he's definitely a guy that's been doing work all the way through. I mean, you look at his LFA record and you look at the performances he had there. Um, that alone showed him to be a, a hell of a threat. And his only loss in the UFC so far, he's 2-1 um, in the UFC proper. And his loss was his debut. But look who it was against, Mohamed Mukayev, a guy who's possibly going to be fighting for a title maybe by the end of this year if he keeps things going the way they are. Um, you, you can't you can't look at a dude like that and think, no, that guy's not, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's not a premier talent. He's certainly showing signs of someone who can develop very nicely into being a premier talent. And I got to respect that. But Osborne, man, you know, even though his record is not... Um, his record is not quite as, as as shiny, and he is coming off a loss against Tyson Nam. Tyson Nam pre- hits really fucking hard. Yeah. The only other loss here of note was Manel Kapp, who is also a tremendous athlete, and Brian Kelleher, who is a submission menace. Hopefully he's uh, learned and he's roughed out some of the edges. He's got a great crew. He's got a, a good um, support structure behind him. I think that maybe the type of opposition that he's faced and the lessons that he's learned from that will be something for him to draw from. I do think that maybe like I feel like I, I feel like I should pick Johnson, but I'm gonna go with Oday regardless. I'm actually I was leaning Oday coming into this. I really was. And then, you know, I pulled up the topology and I I reminded myself of just who Charles Johnson is. And dude is good. And remember all the hype that Jimmy Flick had because Jimmy Flick was getting submission after submission. And when Charles Johnson got in there with Jimmy Flick, I believe he was the underdog going in there. And he, he got that, that ground and pound win right in the first round. But the other thing is Zaga Zumagilov. He won a split decision there. That's hard to do because that dude mm. is also good. He makes every fight an ugly fucking grinder. 
And he he managed to get the win there. He also has a win over Carlos Mota. That's yeah. impressive as well. Now I know Carlos Mota. That, that's Carlos Mota Tizil, right? The uh, the guy that so. just got popped for for um I believe Meldonium. He got a two year suspension for Meldonium. Oh god! That that yeah. guy came over to uh, the UFC. And he had one fight and he totally shit the bed. It was like he had, he totally had octagon shock. Um, but in any event, it, it turns out that, you know, he was, he, he had meldonium in his system and enough where that they suspended him for two years. He's, he's out of there. He can't, can't fight, but he has a win over that guy. And up to that point, that guy was a just a killing machine over in LFA and ended up being the champion, and he has a win over him. So I think that's also impressive if that's the guy. Hang on. Let me make sure. So I'm not telling. Yep, it is him, Carlos Mototizil. So um, <laughs> I think that's impressive. Two losses Carlos has, and Charles Johnson handed him one of those. I'm going to take Charles Johnson here. Mookie is also taking Ode Osborne with you, but I'm going to take Charles Johnson. I just damn, think that damn. It's, you got to say it like that. You know, you, you know, you little people over there, you picking your little Ode. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think that, that he's the smart I'm fucking with you. I think he's the smart pick. I do. I can't. No, he myself. is. He is. Yes. All right. So next up. Well, I have to go back in here to my messages. But next up, we have, wow, I love this. Tatiana Suarez is coming back against Montana De La Rosa. Now, I'm going to start this one off. And the reason why is I saw a lot of people saying that Montana De La Rosa wasn't a proper enough fight for Tatiana to come back to. But I disagree. Tatiana came back, is coming back after three plus years away and massive injuries to her back. I'm sorry, but she needed a softer touch to come back to. And we also have to remember that in addition to that amazing wrestling game that Tatiana has, she has the unfortunate dilemma of having some of the worst striking I've ever seen. She is a terrible, terrible striker. So bearing those things in mind, I think that Montana De La Rosa is the perfect return fight because she's not a scrub. She has pretty goddamn good grappling. It's not the best and she's not the best, but she's an appropriate challenge for a person returning from a three plus year absence from massive injuries to come back to, especially considering that her striking is what it is. I think this is a perfect comeback fight. I do think that she will win. But I don't have a problem with the matchmaking at all. Now, Mookie is also picking Tatiana. So, Victor, your turn. Yeah, I, I kind of have to pick Tatiana because here's the thing with, with Montana's wrestling. I mean, it's good, and she's adapted it very well for MMA, unfortunately. Tatiana has that – she's got that farm strength, man. You look at the way she out-muscled and out-hustled Carla Sparza, who perhaps may have – uh, the only person that I would really, you know, consider um, having like that sort of really well adapted wrestling for MMA in that division, like to a to a super high level. 
Uh, she's she's honed that down to to a science, but Suarez didn't give a fuck about none of that. <laughs> and so if you can if you can do that to someone like her, and and you're able to uh, wipe out you know her wrestling with yours. What's stopping her from doing that against Montana? I'm not right. really sure. Obviously, that's going to be her bread and butter. That's going to be her main thing. Um, I'm just happy that she's able to compete and live a full life after the uh, horrible string of injuries that she had, which were, I mean, essentially life-threatening. You know, this was stuff that was affecting her quality of life, but uh, she was able to come back, so good for her. Uh, I, I just... Nah, man. I mean, Montana's still someone that I enjoy watching because of the fact that she's tricky and she's got really cool uh, grappling technique. You know, I I go crazy over that shit, but no, I I, I got to go with Montana uh, with Tatiana here. All right, and then let's see here. We're going to get to the co-main event. This is a banger of a fight. I love this fight. Brendan Allen versus Andre Muniz. Ooh. I had to I had to really really sit and just consider my options with this fight. They're both amazing and they both have their their strengths. I feel like Andre Muniz has a better grappling game. I feel like Brendan Allen has a better stand-up game, but they they both are very well-rounded. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking I should take Brendan Allen because he's probably the stronger guy. But I just think that Andre Muniz is so goddamn slick that he might just pull the wool over his eyes and pull out some crazy submission. I don't know. I just have a feeling about Andre Muniz, so I'm taking him. Andre is talking some shit, though. I mean, like, the good kind. You know, he's he's talking about, like, we're going to see who's got the better jujitsu, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I, I don't know if that's bait to try to draw uh, Brendan into or out of uh, a grappling showdown. Um, I, I think that's actually like that. That's just one of those things that now leads me to wonder how this is going to go. Um, but Andre has such a slick ground. I mean, I didn't think he was going to be Jacare the, the way right. he did, obviously. Yeah. And then he did, which showed that there's a different level of polish to his submission game. And not only that, it's a matter of how it's been adapted to MMA. Jiu-jitsu is not just jiu-jitsu. Not anybody can – look, anybody can slap on an armbar, fine. It's how you get there. And when you're still someone who is aware and capable of implementing strikes and being able to stay out of certain danger spots and being able to control your opponent to be able to um, uh, to negate their strengths – on a level that allows you to go for the submission quicker. That's, that's really the, the, the name of the game here. And that's what I love about Andre's game, man. He's just, he's not, he, he, he's not messing around. He doesn't fight like he's double parked outside necessarily, but he's also not getting paid by the hour and he knows it. So he's going to go for it. And there's just ways that this guy does it. It's kind of like what, uh, what um, Henry Akins calls hidden jujitsu, right? What, what, uh, what, what Hicks and Gracie called, what was it? Um, secret jujitsu or whatever it is yeah. you know it's it's the small things the tiny adjustments that you know you unless you really have either been in that situation or have had that done to you you don't realize it the way he adjusts his pressure shifts his weight drives his hips into the opponent this guy knows what he's doing and his striking is pretty menacing too so alan uh has his hands full he has a very good chance of winning this this should be a very exciting fight but i gotta go 100 man yeah, and Mookie is also taking Andre Muniz. Now we get to the, the main event. <laughs> and this is probably the weakest of the fights that we have chosen. Everything else is incredibly 
uh, competitive and important. Now, this fight is competitive, but I don't know um, that it rates up there with the importance that the other fights have. But you need bigger guys in the main event if you're to follow the UFC's philosophy. So we get Ryan Spann taking on Nikita Krilov. Now, I'm going to start with you, Victor, because I am choosing opposite Mookie and I have a feeling that you're probably going to choose the way that he is and I just want to hear what you have to say look at him man I I don't (laughs) this this main event I I mean it was announced I'm like really that's yeah I know right that's what we're going with (laughs) I mean I guess like it's it's just you expect main event Right. And you expect title implications. You expect, you know, uh, title eliminators usually or something with a level of name and brand recognition. And I know it sounds gross. Don't get me wrong. I, I like it. It's it's it sounds like, yes, I'm just repeating marketing bullshit. Pablum. I understand. But I'm just going based on what the usual uh, approach for these things goes on. This is usually what it runs on, right? It's usually this is what what is utilized as an element of marketing for these fights and what goes into the science of formulating a main event fight in the first place. This is a thing, I guess. And I don't I don't hate it, but I don't exactly like it's just like a fight that's there and it's always light heavyweight. I don't understand what it is. The UFC's infatuation with putting this division in the main event slot, <laughs> knowing that so many of these fights are absolutely either super chaotic or incredibly abysmal. It's a hard roll of the dice regardless, but here we are. This is what we're doing. Um, I'm just not really, um, I don't trust Krilov. Unfortunately, I don't think he is a very consistent fighter. I love watching him fight. I think he's a great dude, but I, you know, it's, it's the gift thing, Yeah. you know, not even a gift up because like yeah, I, ever since his debut, he's not somebody that I could uh, realistically trust, but rankings wise, it makes sense, right? Ryan Spann right now with number eight, Krilov at number six. Ta-da. There's your fight. <laughs> this is, wow. You know what's so your... funny? You know what's so funny is that I didn't even realize they were both ranked so highly that they were inside the top 10. I mean, the name value, my goodness, this is what I'm talking about when we discuss the UFC's promotional value, what they're actually doing for their fighters, and they are fucking phoning it in. Because here you have a number six and a number what, eight? Or did you say ten? No, six and eight. Six and eight. And who the hell knows that they're six and eight? You know? is Dana even going to show up to these? Because that's like the of barometer of whether not. or not you give a fuck. Exactly. So here, here is a pretty goddamn impactful fight. I'm, I'm ready to write it off as not as impactful as the other three. I mean, it's more impactful than any of them. But you don't know it because the UFC does zero promotion to let you know, hey, this is number six taking on number eight. Either one of these guys, whoever wins, could absolutely be in line for the title shot. But they're not even doing that. I mean, that's the bare minimum. Just saying, hey, whoever wins this, because by virtue of where they're placed in the rankings, will probably be in the title running. But they don't even do the bare minimum. So people don't even know who the hell is fighting and what what their importance is. And that's fucking sad 
It is, but you know the the other thing that gets it, like, th is there a chance that this could end with a spectacular finish? Sure. Absolutely. Yep. But you're also you're also going to be sitting here for like eight hours. Yes. Tons of filler and bumper shit. More promoting. More uh, more uh, uh, extra pleas for you to join ESPN Plus, which you probably it's it's even more insulting when you already have it. As I've said before, get your hand out of my fucking pocket. I'm already using your service to watch this. Don't sell me what I'm already buying. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that. You put this at the end. It's like, you know, man, have fun with that if you're watching live because I and that's that's one of the time, few benefits. Like dodging spoilers is a chore, but watching it the next morning, let me tell you, it's given me a lot more peace of mind. And the whole time you're going to have some reminder that power slap is still a thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I am choosing Ryan Spawn. You never said who you were actually picking. I, I thought I did. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Ryan Spawn. I ah, just I just okay. trust him more. Well, it's not a matter of trust for me. It's um, more about Krilov. And there are a few things that I know about Krilov. I know that he will be the better wrestler. So if this fight hits the ground, I seriously worry about Ryan Spawn because Fight IQ is not his forte. I'm not saying he's terrible by any means, but I ha am saying he's made some boneheaded decisions in the past that have caused him fights. Um, I know that Krilov is insanely durable. However, that durability has to go at some point, and I can't help but think that Krilov's been around the game for a long time, more than a decade. Remember way back when, Nikita Krilov was a heavyweight and got sparked by Soa Palele. That was one of the worst fights mm -hmm. ever, yeah, ever, so. ever in any organization. I don't know why people were like thrilled with that. That fight was this sloppy. Look, I'm not a purist. Okay, I'm not some some asshole who's going to come out here and chastise you. You know that fight was not aesthetically pleasing. I, I like a good slobber knocker every now and then. This was not that. I'd rather anything to forget that fight, but I can't avoid it. It's like the first thing I think of when either one of these names comes up. Yeah, and you know, I mean, man, I don't mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. I just, uh, this, uh -huh. this, this fight, it just really annoys me. And now I'm even more annoyed knowing what their ranking is. But, anyways, I am going to take Spawn because I feel like at some point Nikita's legendary durability has to fade and it looks to me like it's it's coming to fruition because his fights always looks like he's about to be finished he always enters into that mode whether he wins or loses he always hits that that point in a fight um fights that he's comfortably winning too sometimes he makes a boneheaded decision of his own i just can't put my faith in his wrestling alone and his durability alone when I know that Ryan Spann has that one hitter quitter and is a much more dynamic fighter and has taken a lot less damage over a long period of time the way that Nikita Krilov has. So I am taking Ryan Spann right along with you. I thought you were going to side with Mookie who is taking Krilov. Nah. There we have it. All right. That's going to wrap up the show. So I want you to do me a favor. Follow this amazing guy on Twitter. He is at Vic M. Rodriguez. Follow him on his Instagram, Victor Sinister Rodriguez. And I cannot, for the life of me, remember your OnlyFans. Please help me <laughs> with that one. 
Tiger Driver 91. Tiger Driver 91. It's still a work in progress. On OnlyFans. You can follow me on Twitter at Crooklyn MMA. You can follow the show at Level Change Pod. We also have a fan page over on Facebook that's Level Change Podcast. Slash, uh, oh, excuse me. That's uh, facebook.com slash level change podcast. Uh, Mookie is available on Twitter. That's Mookie Alexander. He is the managing editor for SB Nation's Field Goals website. So you can check him out over there if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan. Uh, Victor and I work for Bloody Elbow. You can check out our work there. And if you listen to the pre recorded outro, you will know where you can listen to this show and all the other great Bloody Elbow Presents shows. So until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, guest podcasts the hey not the face podcast and radio style play-by-play for every ufc pay-per-view be sure to follow us on twitter at bloody elbow facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>